Welcome to the audio podcast for the main service of Northridge Church. Our hope is that this will be a tool that blesses and challenges you in your walk with Jesus. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, you can visit us at nrchurch.ca or join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until we meet, be blessed and enjoy the word for today. Good morning, Northridge. Welcome, welcome. Uh, ways back, I was telling you I was reading this parenting book, and apparently I'm reading through it very slowly because I have another example from it today. Uh, in this book, it talks about when our kid makes a mistake, that it's not the best way to shame them and look down on them. Like, what did you do? Like, I can't believe you did that because it breaks our relationship with them. And so instead, they encourage us as parents to be like, uh-oh, this happened. How can we walk through it? And I got to experience that this week. Um, I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about that and how Jesus does that with us. He doesn't shame us when we've done something wrong. When we're walking in addiction or control or even maybe things that we don't know about like shame and pride, he is not shaming us. He's not getting mad at us. He's saying, uh-oh, let me walk beside you. And a lot of us are waiting to connect with God until we're in the right but he wants to be there in it with us. He wants to be in the fire helping us through that and, um, and walking with our hands out in surrender. Uh, and I told this story a couple of years ago, but I'm going to tell it again. So I give um, 10% of my income. And a few years ago in July, I had to pay hockey registration, which was over $1,000. I had to pay property tax, which is over $4,500, and that was a lot for a month, and uh, so I forgot to pay tithe that month, and I thought those were pretty good excuses, and um, the next month, August, still kind of catching up from that, I felt like I should pay my August tithe, and I did, and then I felt that I should pay back July, pay the July tithe I missed, so I just surrendered that. God's given me this job, and he's given me all of these opportunities, and this is his money, not mine. And so a few days later, I sent in my July tithe as well. And two weeks later, my boss calls me and told me I'm doing a good job, and he said, starting in September, I'm going to bump up your pay by 10%. And so not only did I give just my 10% for that last month, but now going forward, I I've been reaping the benefits two years later <laughs> of getting 10%. And I have seen that not everything is as splashy as that when we surrender and give to God, but I have seen his faithfulness over and over again. He's given me job opportunities, extra jobs, and um, ways that I can save money. And he's just blessed me when I've been faithful to him and I've surrendered it to him. And so I, can you raise your hand if you've experienced that too, where in giving, you've given, and God has been faithful? That's a lot of you guys. I um, want to encourage you that if you have a story, either big, splashy, or small, uh, to come see me, because I'd love to share some of these stories with you uh, for some of our coming weeks. So if you could find me, because I think it's important for us to share how God has been faithful. And so um, I encourage you to do that. Let's, um, let's pray. Um, uh, the other thing I wanted to say is I would challenge you if you don't feel like you have enough to give or you don't think you are enough, that, um, that you can't afford not to. 
that we, uh, when we trust him and we surrender to him, that's when it becomes his plan and not our plan. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are faithful. We can trust you because you are faithful. And when we surrender our lives to you, we can see how you move through us. And we are nothing without you. We are unworthy without you, God, and you are worthy and you are good. And Jesus, we pray for our tithes and offerings that are coming up that you will bless those and use them for your work. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to give, you can give online at donations at nrchurch.ca. You can give in the giving plates that are being passed around. Uh, or there's a, is there still a basket in the back too, even though we're doing these? Okay, there's that too. All right, and then just a few announcements. Kids Camp registration is on right now. And the early bird rate, I believe, ends at the end of April, which is today. Today. So today is the day. Um, I, if you have a kid in that age range, I didn't look it up before. I think it's like grade three or four to grade seven. Is that right? Something around those times. Even if you're older than that in youth camp, it is so valuable. I went from kids camp starting in at the earliest you can go to to the latest I could go to, and it changed my life. And I can see that in my own kids and uh, all of my friends that have gone through camp. It is impactful, and it is a worthy investment to make. But it is expensive. And so we are going to provide giving opportunities, but one of the giving opportunities we're going to do is family photos. And what's in two weeks? Does anybody know? Mother's Day. Mark that on your calendars. And moms typically like family photos. So as a fundraiser, we are doing a family photo fundraiser. It's just a 10-minute mini shoot, and it's $75, and that's your opportunity to get some family photos done. It's a good gift to give for Mother's Day, and that date will come up in June. And um, if you aren't signed up for our monthly newsletter, uh, all of these announcements are in there. So I would encourage you to go to nrchurch.ca and sign up for the newsletter because it's coming out May 1st, which is tomorrow. All right, uh, that's it. Um, kids can be dismissed, Route 57 or whatever we're calling it, and uh, the youth too. Although, Declan, you have to come here for a second. This is my nephew, Declan. I'm a little concerned that most of you did not get the memo of the dress code. You're missing your palm trees. I just wanted to show off how good we look. Thank you, Declan. Good job. Good singing today. All right. Well, first thing, check in uh, post-NFL draft. How are you guys feeling? I know the Eagles had a good draft. We've got, this is actually a beautiful picture of church unity. We've got, I know Travis is Steelers. We've got Eagles. We've got, I saw Adam and, actually I could hear Adam and Ryan talking over in the back. Uh, Adam's Chargers, Ryan's Colts. I, I like to call them the Clots because that sounds gross and I don't like his team. Um, and the, the, the picture of church unity is, is beautiful, that we all gather, we all hate Shane's 49ers. And it's this, this, this united thing that we all have. Anyways, we had the draft this week, and so I think everybody's... I can't hear you. Uh, we, I had the draft, and, and now everybody's kind of settling in, evaluating how it all went. Uh, hopefully it went well for you. Yeah, again, can't hear you. Uh, okay, uh, as we have been doing, uh, we're going to go into another little time of prayer, but I want to give you a little bit of context. Uh, today we're praying for our partnership with Hope for Freedom Society, something we feel really blessed. Uh, again, if you know our church history, um, Mark and Steph know our church history because they've been coming to our membership classes faithfully. Well, actually, Steph was there for the first time last week, but anyways. 
and we shared uh, a bit of the, the background of our coming together with Hope for Freedom Society. And it's a, it's a beautiful story that can only be credited to God, and uh, it's a partnership that we've enjoyed for many years now, I think six or seven years. Um, and uh, it, it's been, it was a tough week um, for, for our, our family at Hope for Freedom Lodge. Uh, they lost a fellow, many of you got to know Douglas, and uh, he lost his life this week, um, and it was at the lodge. And so it's a very impactful and a hard story. And um, so we were going to be praying for um, this ministry anyways, but I felt it was important that you understand that there's a, this is a time of grief and, and mourning for, for the guys. This is something, it's, it's traumatic to, to go through something like that. Um, but we want to pray for them. We want to pray for the impact. It, it's incredible to see the lives change. I met a fellow named Scott who I actually had never met before. Um, and I learned he was a part of uh, what was, uh, I don't know if they called it Saturday Night Life at the time or if it was God Rock. But he preceded uh, our involvement. So I'd never met the guy, but he was a bit of an OG with, with the guys. And so he came, and it was good to see him doing well. And there are so many good stories coming out of this ministry. God is doing a work. And, and I, I didn't plan on going on quite so long. But one of the things I see in this ministry and in our partnership with Hope for Freedom Society is, is it's a ministry that is working with people, uh, men and women, we've got Glory House in Mission, but men and women who have come to a point in their life where they are done trying to do it on their own. And if there's a lesson that we can all learn about our faith journey is that as soon as we kind of back away from uh, trying to drive the bus and being our own God, being self-reliant, being completely independent. And as soon as we make ourselves available to help, and then when God is introduced, when you, when you encounter Jesus in that softness, he does amazing, miraculous things. And it's a, it's a beautiful ministry. I just, I can't say enough about it. So as we have been, I want to take a pause. I'm going to leave some, some blank space. And if you feel that um, you want to you share something, please stand and pray it out loud, and then I'll close. Let's pray together. Amen. Father, we thank you that you are described as the father to the fatherless, and, and that when we come under you, we are adopted into your family. And so, Father, I, I thank you that that puts us all into this, this horizontal relationship where we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and Lord, I pray that... Um, this, this place would be known as a place where we can come and be as family. There'd be both a comfort, uh, a security, uh, a feeling of belonging in this place. And um, Lord, I thank you for the blessing that uh, Hope for Freedom Society has been to us, um, to me, and the SNL ministry, how, how that's been such a blessing, Father, Pray that you would continue to strengthen us, uh, build us up, and prepare us for what you've called us to do. Pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on that note, I realize I, I didn't see Denise when we started praying. We actually have um, some Hope for Freedom staff. And Denise, if you haven't got to know Denise, 
She's a brilliant, wonderful woman who uh, is doing incredible things. Uh, uh, Denise is a person, um, actually, I, I don't know if all of you know this, Linda Paragello came and dropped off some, some books today, and I was, I was saying, I always hear Linda's name, and she's a, a, a woman, and I don't even know her husband, but they're a couple with a great reputation. And Denise is one of those people, too. When you hear about the work that Denise does, it's always with this level of reverence and respect. She is good at what she does. I also feel bad that I didn't make mention of Steve Murdoch's Packers. I have no idea how the Packers did in the draft. Good news, bad news? No. <laughs> there you go. Uh, they're the Packers, that's right. Hey, what's that? <laughs> so uh, also looking back at the week, we're really thankful we had... Um, the women's event on Sunday night, and uh, we're just so thankful for Andy Faulkner and how she's blessed our people. Uh, I am amazed at the, even in her sickness, the prophetic nature of, of Jen McMillan, who asked for six tables, and there were like six, I wasn't here, but I heard from Carolee, there were six perfectly filled tables for this women's event, and um, so that's pretty amazing. Uh, more good news, uh, we've been praying for well, in different forms, we've been praying for, for Steve Bennett. Remember, he had a, a tumor removed. He, he got the results back, and that tumor is benign. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, it, similarly, Allison, who's playing guitar this morning. Her, yeah, Allison. There you go. Raj has got a clean bill of health. He was, he was just, there was some concern, and so he's been declared cancer-free there. So praise the Lord. Raj, I have never met you in real life. So good to meet you across the room like this. <laughs> good to see you, brother. Um, okay, just a quick life, life update before we get into the Word. I know it's probably almost time to close, but uh, I feel you should know this, that I'm selling my motorcycle. Yeah. And you know what? It's interesting. I've, I've given people a lot of different reasons, because there are a little different reasons for my decision to sell my bike. Um, but one of the ones that I've just kind of come to grips with is that I'm just not really cool enough um, to, to ride a motorcycle. And it's, you know what, I try, and it's always this thing, when I, when I hop on my bike, I've kind of got to reset my face to look a little more dangerous, and um, i got to slouch a little bit, but kind of, at the same time, trying to make my shoulders bigger. It's, it's hard, and it's this whole kind of getting into character thing that I try and do. Um, I was in, yeah, no, I'm not going to say that, but even the, the wave... Motorcyclists know the, the wave. It's not a, hi, other motorcycler. It's the, you put your hand out really cool, and you got to get that right. Otherwise, you just don't fit in. And so I've, I've been, I've, you know, I've, it's not that I, I want to be cool. I, I wish I was more, I wish I was more Fonzie and less Richie Cunningham. Um, but uh, you know what? That's, I just, I could feel the division in age in, in the response there. Today, today, what's the date today? April 29th, 2023 is the day I officially told my first divisive age joke where I identified with an older crowd. Um, but, uh, okay. So, yeah, selling sell the motorcycle. And um, you can pray for me because uh, my dad will tell you that I am the worst salesman on the planet. I am terrible at selling anything. And there is a segue into the message from this. Honestly, we will get there. It, actually, if you, if you look back at Exodus 3, it's all about God's message to Moses, his calling through the burning bush, this calling to go. He, he wants his people to be set free from the tyranny 
of the Egyptians. And he wants us, and he's sending Moses to go and do this. Well, Exodus 4, which is where we're going to be today, it's all about this bargaining between Moses and God. And God is almost selling him, eh? Selling him. Selling him on this idea of going to Egypt and doing the things that he's calling him to do. And um, God's a better salesman than I am, thank goodness. And we're going to start seeing that in verse 1 of chapter 4. It goes like this. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And uh, I just want to focus on that first part for now. Let's look at this idea uh, of his response. Now, it, it wasn't wrong necessarily for Moses to ask a question like, who am I that I will be like the representative for Israel before Pharaoh? This is something he kind of brought up in Exodus 3. It's a logical question when you think about how gigantic this task would be. We're talking about millions of people, millions of Israelites in captivity in Egypt. And Moses is asking, and justifiably so, who am I to be their spokesperson? And remember, God answers the question uh, when he asks, who am I? He doesn't answer the question to tell Moses who he is. He tells Moses who he is, who God is, and that God would be doing the, the heavy lifting. He was the one who was going to do the work. And he follows up with this kind of, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. And there's a lot of good reasons. Um, in, in fact, uh, God says they will heed your voice. But Moses is kind of inadvertently asked, asking the question, but what if you're wrong, God? What if, what if all of these things that you're kind of prophesying over me right now, what if, what if the things you're saying about how this interaction will go, what if you're wrong? How will I look? What's going to happen to me? There's a good quote I want to share with you here about buts. We are ever prone when God is calling us to some high service to say, but. And this to introduce our statement of the difficulties as we see them. So in response to God, it's often followed by a but. You know what? Yeah, that's a good idea, God, but... And that's kind of what Moses is doing here. Let's kind of rewind and go back to verse 1 again. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it to the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. This, uh, this is something um, I've pulled from a commentary, a guy named David Guzik, who I, I love to lean on. He notes that he, he's, God is ready to work with what's already in Moses' hand. And at that point, it would have been like a shepherd's crook. Remember, he was working for his father-in-law, Jethro, in Midian. So it would have been probably a shepherd's crook that he's... And that's what God's ready to use and work with in his hand. At one point, it would have been a scepter. When he was living in Egypt, he could have leveraged Moses' political stature. Moses holding a scepter. He could, God could have used that. But in this case, he's holding a staff, probably a shepherd's staff. And, and Moses was like, 
well, I'm holding a rod. I'm holding this, this stick, essentially. And he didn't realize this would be the staff that God would tell him to hold up and he would split the Red Sea. Didn't realize this would be the staff that he would hold up and, and keep held until Israel would win a victory. He didn't realize this is the staff that he would be told to strike stones and water would, would come forward. At that, idea, at that point, he didn't realize the value of what he had in his hand. Now, the, the, the trick that God had planned for, for this moment, for this staff, was that it would become a snake. It didn't become like a snake. It didn't, it didn't catch the light in such a way that the top of the, snake, the, top of the staff kind of looked like a, a snake's head. It became a snake that, that Moses was literally afraid of. And then again, verse 6, again the Lord said to him, put your hand inside of your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, well, put your hand back inside your cloak, which would have been scary to do if your hand had leprosy. But uh, So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. Now, if they will not believe even those two signs, these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now, it's interesting. In, in both of the first two examples that God uses, first with the staff, it was this transformation from a, a stick to a snake and then back to a stick again. The second example was his hand would become leprous and then transformed when he put his hand back in his cloak that it would be made clean again. There's transformation. But the third example would be an example of judgment. Like, okay, you've had your signs and wonders. You've been shown God's power. But if you will not still understand or believe, it's judgment and it'll be Water from the Nile poured out on the sand, and it will be blood. And, it, and God didn't change it back to water. There would be a finality to this miracle. It would be judgment. Let's move on to verse 10. Verse 10 says this, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Moses had no confidence in himself. Um, this is a, a bit of a, a weak excuse. We can actually see in Acts, so if you fast forward, what's forward for you guys? Fast forward to Acts chapter 7, verse 22. There's this recollection of Moses, and he's described that he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So Moses' ultimate reputation was that he was good with words. He was known for his words. There's a bit of a weak sauce excuse. There's a good quote here from Kaiser who kind of disagrees with that statement, but he says, Thus, Moses' complaint was not in defective articulation, but in his inability to take command of Hebrew and Egyptian. I didn't know what CF meant, Uncle Rob, but it means to confer or to compare. So compare uh, Ezekiel 3.5 where heavy of tongue equals difficulty with a foreign language. So Moses was kind of saying, I'm not going to be the guy who's able to go from Egyptian to, to Hebrew 
back and forth. That was his complaint. I just thought that was interesting. Uh, let's go back to verse 10 again and restart this. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth. How's that for a blessing? I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Oh, if we could only have God being with our mouth as we went through the day. I'd be in so much less trouble day to day. But uh, who made man's mouth? The God who created Moses' mouth could make it as eloquent as he wanted it to be, is, is the statement there. Verse 13 says, But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Finally, Moses was done with his excuses and showed, revealed the real state of his heart. Simply, he would much rather that God just send somebody else. So ultimately, it wasn't necessarily a lack of understanding. It was a lack of willingness. I have my first quote from a non-theologian, and I thought this was just brilliant. This is from Benjamin Franklin. It says, it's common for men to give pretend reasons instead of one real one. We, we think of all of the, I'm thinking about all the reasons to sell my motorcycle. Uh, I've got all these different reasons, but there's really probably only one real reason that I, I try to avoid. Uh, verse 13, let's say that again. But he said, O Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Now, we see here this transition from God and, and Moses bargaining to God's like, enough is enough. He is, he's angry with Moses. And, and part of it is there's this genuine um, dialogue where, where Moses is trying to work out with God, am I really the right person for this? He says, who am I? And, and then he asks the follow-up question, who am I? Like, who are you? Who am I going to tell people that you are that you've sent me? And then even with that information, what if they still don't believe me? Suppose they don't believe. And, and he is really feeling ineloquent and inadequate for the job. So all these are, are fairly legitimate. But now it's come, into the, come plain and obvious that he's just unwilling. It's one thing for Moses to have doubts. It's another thing for Moses to be disobedient. And, and I think this is something that we need to embrace a little bit better. It is okay to have this wrestling with God and to have doubt. Doubt, if done properly, leads to inquiry. It leads to, it learns, it leads, leads, it leads to learning. It leads to growth. Doubt, doubt can be a really helpful, uh, healthy and helpful thing. But disobedience, knowing the stakes, knowing what's before us, and saying, yeah, no, I don't want to. That's something that, that God 
gets angry at. It's like, I am, I'm God. I'm calling you to do this. And Moses is choosing to be dis disobedient. So then he starts in his rant. He says, uh, is, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. The, the curious thing about all this is that Aaron proved to be more of a problem ultimately to Moses than a help. God gave Aaron as a concession to Moses, but honestly, it wasn't the best thing for him. It reminds me of when Israel cried out for a king. It's like, I'll give you a king. This is not the best for you. This is not my best for you. See, Aaron was a smooth talker, but he was a man weak in character. He wasn't what God was looking for. God was calling Moses. He could have called Aaron if all he needed was a smooth talker, but Moses was the man for the job. Let's look, look at verse 18. Now Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. So ultimately, he obeyed. He, he comes around. Eventually, God broke through that, that veneer, that hardness of his heart, and, and got to the point with Moses, and he obeyed. And I think this is maybe a throwaway or maybe just a little kind of word I have pastorally, but I think it's interesting that even though Moses was called by God to go and do something very specific, he still honored his father-in-law by going and filling him in on the calling. He didn't just take off and abandon his post. He went and made it right with, with Jethro. And he asked that he asked for permission to go back to Egypt. He didn't really tell Jethro the whole story. He didn't reveal the whole plan. He just told them that he was meant to go back. Uh, maybe even then he's still doubting. He thought this is just too fantastic a story to try and reveal to this man who would become family. Verse 19, And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let them go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. God sends Moses into Egypt, knowing that he would be safe. And this would kind of, he, he told him this to kind of ease all that anxiety. But he kind of revealed the way the plan would go. And the plan ultimately finishes with this exchange of firstborns. He describes Israel as his firstborn child. And that ultimately the price that would be paid by Egypt, by Pharaoh, would be that Egypt's first, literal firstborn would lose their lives in the final plague that we know is coming a little bit further down the road. Verse 24. This section messed with my mind, and I had to do a little bit extra digging, and I think there's still more study that needs to be done. There's some odd stuff happening here, but let's read it together. Verse 24 says this. 
at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. And this is talking about Moses. So Moses is on his way. The Lord sought him and, and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, this is Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' Moses's feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. So God let Moses alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. I don't know if, about you, but I, when I read this, I'm like, what has just happened? God sends Moses, and now partway there, God wants to kill Moses? And then Zipporah circumcises their kid and, and touches it to his feet, and, and there's all this bridegroom of blood stuff. It's, it's really, really unusual. Um, and then I reflected on a question I think, Ken, you were asking me after the service last week, and I'm embarrassed to say that I missed a connection. Um, we read in Exodus 3 that um, Jethro was a, a priest. And, and I think it was Ken. Was that right, Ken? Yeah. yeah. Ken was asking, like, a, a, what kind of a priest was he? And I'm like, well, the only priests I really knew about in this area were, were the, the Levite priests. But I didn't make the connection. I, you, we know when we read about the Israelites and the Midianites being at war with each other. They were very conflicted nations. They worshipped different gods. So Jethro was a priest of Midian. He was a priest worshipping a pagan god. And this was the household that Moses found himself uh, immersed in, in his time in Midian. Forty years. Forty years in the household of Jethro, a Midian priest. And so what we see here, if we're reading between the lines, is Moses, who was raised a devout Jew, a devout Israelite man, he married into a Midianite family, married Zipporah, a Midianite, and lived in that household, and it would seem as though they did not circumcise their firstborn. And Zipporah was the one who had this revelation when she sees that God is about to kill her husband. She's like, wait, we're not right with God. And remember, this was in a day and age where the law called them to be the males to be circumcised. So righteousness, unfortunately, meant following all of these laws. And, and they needed to follow this law to be right with God. And she was the one who identifies this. And, and so she takes matters into her own hand with rocks and, 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 and makes things right. And the, and the wrath of God is relaxed. And again, like I said, I think there's a lot more to learn and understand about this passage. I, I don't claim to have full understanding of what's going on there. But we can pray for that and do some more digger deeping, digger deeping, deeping, deeper digging going further. I'm a little thrown by the whole thing. All right, let's go on to verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, so now they're in different parts of the world, and God's speaking to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and, and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had uh, commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, 
and God, and excuse me, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Now, God, see, God up to this point with Moses has made a lot of promises. And now he's starting to honor his promises. He said he would bring Aaron. And it wasn't like Moses and Aaron are texting back and forth and they make this arrangement to meet in the wilderness. God spoke to Moses. God spoke to Aaron a great distance away and they met in the wilderness. And this was the, the fulfillment of a promise that God had made to Aaron. And I love the reaction of the people of Israel. Because remember, the people of Israel were, were broken. They were crying out to God. And anybody with a memory of Moses, it wouldn't be a good memory. This wasn't a, a fond memory of this, of this man. But they see that God has visited Moses, that God has visited Aaron, and that he has heard their cries, and that God has a plan for their salvation. And so their response is to bow their heads and worship. Uh, uh, the excitement was real. And now there's this building of anticipation for deliverance. I want to invite the worship team up. That's the conclusion of Exodus 4. Exodus 5, I've summed up on this screen here. These are actually notes taken from, and I've got the, the link at the bottom. This is a commentary I love to lean on. Um, and these were kind of just the, the headings of what happens next in chapter 5. Uh, Pharaoh receives Moses and Aaron. So Moses and Aaron get to make an appearance before Pharaoh and responds with a command. Remember, Moses asks Pharaoh to let Israel go out into the wilderness to worship. In response, Pharaoh says, uh, rather than do that, how about if I like make things m even more miserable for the children of Israel? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up the standards of the work that they're called to do. And so then the, the officers of Egypt, they, they carry out this, uh, these orders of increasing the workload. Then the second part of chapter 5, Pharaoh is, is, is making, it's elevated even more where he troubles the children of Israel. Verses 15 to 19, Pharaoh rebukes the officers of Israel. They're crying out for, for mercy and he increases their burdens. And that leads the officers of Israel, so the leaders of Israel, to turn on Moses. And they are unhappy with Moses. So he's almost right back to square one again. It's like, here, here you're coming here to deliver us, and all that's coming out of us, we're getting more work than before you arrived. So finally, Moses, hearing the complaints of the officers of Israel, Moses turns his complaints back to God. And unfortunately, despite the revelation of God's word to Moses in, in Exodus 3 and his eventual sending of Moses in Exodus 4, by the end of chapter 5, we see Moses is despondent and doubting again. But if you've read your Bible, you know that what's coming is pretty miraculous, pretty exciting. We're going to leave off here today. I'm going to invite you to stand.
We're going to worship together, and then I've got a blessing for you after that. Let's, let's worship. I know that Chris puts a lot of intention into song selection, but I don't think either of us could have expected that uh, there'd be such a strong connection. And similarly with, with this um, blessing, uh, just receive this. May the God of creation, the one who created us for a purpose, reveal his calling for you. And may we have big ears to listen and a big heart to obey, leaning on the truth of his faithfulness throughout the generations. Be blessed. Have a wonderful week. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for our main service. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, or if you just want to talk to someone about what you've heard on this podcast, please email us at info at nrchurch.ca. We'd love to get to know you better. Until then, be safe and be blessed.